morning. How are you guys doing today? How was your weekend? You ever wonder why technology does that? I mean, isn't God sovereign? Couldn't he have stopped Hitachi from advertising during our service? <laughs> We're going to talk about prayer today, and a lot of what we understand and don't understand about prayer is why do things like that happen. Um, I think I know why, a little bit, maybe. I'll take a wild guess. Uh, it's really easy to believe that what's happening up here is a, is a performance and is, is something that's meant to inspire us. But really, I hope that happens, but it's not a performance. These people up here are the chief worshipers. That's their job. And, and so what you saw <laughs> as they lost technology, they're leading us. They're, like, they're ushering us into God's presence. That's their job. That's what they love to do. So it's a good reminder to me that we, we don't really need the screen. Um, we want it. But what we need is God's words in our heart. And that's what they do for us as they lead us in worship. So thank you, worship team. Like every week, whoever's up there, we just appreciate what you guys do. So thank you for that. Welcome to Port Acre Church. My name's Jason. We're in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. Uh, this is our second to last week as this series comes to a close. I really have loved it. Um, but as Pastor Johnny Reeves said today, we're talking about prayer. Uh, if, if this is your first time here, and like we don't make assumptions. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you came with somebody because you had to or you're checking out this whole thing. Um, let me just encourage you in this. The question that you should be asking yourself as you walk into a church um, is, is God real or not? Honestly, you can find good community in a lot of different places. Maybe a bowling league is what you're looking for. Maybe a church is. Maybe you came here for different reasons. What I want you to ask is, is God real or not? Um, and how we pray and how we engage that, as a people, we should be modeling that that is in fact true. So John's pushing an epilogue on us. In fact, the verse we see today is kind of the thesis of the whole book, why he wrote it to us. He wants you and I to have full assurance of eternal life and everything that that means. He wants us to have confidence. He wants you to walk in confidence, almost a swagger as you approach God, not in disrespect, but then you know God. Um, and it's confidence and it's not just a posture. Now, when you think of confidence as just a posture, it's arrogance. No, confidence performs. Confidence is about all about what you possess and what you have. And if you have um, what you want, you will have confidence. It changes everything. Um, one of my neighbors is a professional athlete. Uh, he plays for one of the big three Washington teams here. And he had a, a, um, just a career high game last week. And I, I talk to this guy, not because we're friends. Nobody's going to be a friend with me if you're a professional athlete. But I take him as mail sometimes because it comes to my house. And you know what? He's just, he just looked different after that game. He walked different. He just he smiled, right? When you have confidence, you smile because you're like, I, I just put up a game. that Nobody can touch that. And so I saw that confidence. Um, we, we're none of us, not, not many of us are professional athletes. So how, does, how do you explain this to us? Well, are you going to get a tax refund? Are you? Because if you are, it changes everything, doesn't it? 
I'm just going to tell you that. If you have a big refund coming, and I know I've said this, it will change, even if it's six weeks away, it's going to change how you live today. It'll change your attitude. It'll change how you face problems. Uh, it, will, it will make you smile more. Let's not pretend that it doesn't because you know the reality is that's coming my way and it changes everything. It builds confidence. So we've got to understand what God wants for us when it comes to our assurance. He wants us to walk in full assurance of eternal life and everything that means. So do you have that kind of confidence when God? Man, we're at the end of this series. We've got a couple more weeks in this. Do you have that kind of confidence when it comes to your relationship with God such that the way you pray is changed, right? It's changed. So let's walk into the text today. First John 5, verses 13 through 15. Let's see what God has for us here. Here's the big idea of the book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've asked us, you've commanded us to have confidence before you, not in general terms, but in very specific terms in how we pray. So much so that we have a confidence that possesses what we ask for. Lord, our prayer this morning is we need you. We need to understand what this text means. We need to understand your word. And we pray that you would open it up to us today. So would you please open up this treasure, God, this word, that we might behold its beauty and its power. Would you do that? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's one thing that he's telling us. If we're understanding assurance, if we're having assurance, if this gospel has changed us in a real way, it's going to change how you pray. That's a problem, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? Did anything that you pray for this week really matter? I mean, if God doesn't answer it, is it really going to change your life? I don't even know if I can say yes. Did you pray something such that if God says no, that's going to be a huge problem for you? And usually the way we pray, the way I pray, is for big things or bad things. Right? When bad things happen, I pray. If I need something big, I'm going to pray. John is telling us that assurance makes us pray. In fact, confident prayer is the act of assurance, is the outflow of assurance. And think about this in terms of relationship. Confidence in a relationship always pours itself out or evidence in communication, how we're talking to one another, how we understand one another. That's where the assurance and the confidence flows out of. And this is what he's saying to us. Confident prayer is the act of assurance. So let's understand this. Uh, three things I believe the text will show us today. We're just going to walk through what this confidence is. First is this. God belongs to you. Now, we've said a lot that we belong to God because the text says this, lots of family language, that we should be called children of God, that we walk together like a family, like we belong to him. Yes, but you have to understand that God belongs to you. That's how it works. 
And so if you don't have that assurance, it's going to change how you pray. Secondly, God hears, and last, God responds. When we pray in confidence, if we're in Christ, he's hearing you. We need to understand what that means. And he's responding to you. We need to understand what that means. So let's walk through there. So the goal today is this. What does confidence in your relationship with God look like? First and foremost, God belongs to you. Um, do you feel like it's presumptuous, maybe a little arrogant to say this? I know I have eternal life. That feel wrong to you? I know that I have eternal life. Catholic church says that's arrogant. Nobody can actually say that. Islam says that's arrogant. Who are you to say that? Who are you to stand before the king of the universe and say, yep, I've got it. This is what he's asking us to do. This is the whole point of the book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What does that mean? That you may know. This is, know is like settled confidence that you have eternal life. So it's a little bit like a professional athlete saying, I'm not even worried about the game today. I know I'm going to win it. In fact, I'm not even going to warm up. It's a little bit like that. By the way, my neighbor doesn't do that. He's, he works hard. Um, here's the presumption, friend. Here's the presumption. It's not in saying that I have eternal life. It's in doubting God's word. Would you doubt his word? You think that's arrogant for a minute? Let's flip that. The arrogance is not repeating God's words. The arrogance is for you to say, I don't know, man. I mean, the arrogance is not choosing to trust in God's word specifically here as it comes to assurance. So if confidence comes from what you possess, then your confidence has to start here. God belongs to you. You possess him. You're holding on to him. He's given himself to you. How? Well, I always like to think, what would this verse mean if we took some things out of it? That's a weird thing to think, but follow me. What if it said, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God? That would still be a true statement and good. But he says, no, I believe, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's covenant language. Do you remember as far back as Exodus, um, when Moses is like, hey, I, I can go back to Egypt, don't want to. But just so we're clear, they're going to ask me who's sending me back into Egypt. What's your name? Right? That, that was a big thing in the ancient world because the name of the God would attach you to a locality. He's like, oh, I am. I am. Tell them that. They'll get it. I am the uncaused cause. You take this back in Egypt. Yeah. So he's given us his name. It's a little bit like being a name dropper. Do you drop names to get access and power to things? I'm shallow. I do that, right? I will do that. Do you hold on to the name of Jesus? Because the name of Jesus represents the fullness of everything Jesus is for you. It is his name. Uh, Philippians 2.9 picks up on this. This is the object of your faith, right? Your faith is not just an idea that you have general hope in God. You are embracing the object of faith, which is Christ the Son. So listen to how Paul explains this. God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's going to happen. That's a reality. Everybody's going to do that. Some out of joy, some out of, oh, I just, wow. So believing in his name is actively pursuing Jesus in this way. 
you understand his name. Messiah, he's God's chosen one. He's anointed. Nobody's going to enact the promises of God. In other words, nobody's going to fix anything permanently but Jesus the Son. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. Are you embracing that or do you truly believe you're alone? He's Savior, Jesus. He's the one who can get the work done. Rest in his efficacy, not yours. He's Savior. He's prophet. He's priest. He's king. These are the names of Jesus. Are we holding on to this? Because when we call out to him by name, that's covenant terminology. Do you talk differently to a stranger than you talk to a friend? Yes, you do. There's an intimacy there. Jesus has given us his name. We are to believe in this. That means embrace him and hold on to him. And this is the essence, this is the essence of assurance. It comes from nothing else. His names gives you access, gives you power, removes oppression. You get to possess God. This is the name of Jesus. And what is the outcome of that? Well, it's not just that you know a lot of things. He says it's eternal life. We have eternal life. So if the name of Jesus represents the fullness of everything that Jesus is, eternal life is this. Um, It represents the fullness of everything that Jesus gives you. If you're trusting in Christ, God is removing everything that stands between you and human flourishing in this moment right now whether you believe it or not, whether you feel that or not. This is what Jesus is doing. What have we learned about eternal life here in this book? It gives you a position right now, right? You have a position with the presence of God. As Paul says, you are seated in the heavenlies. You're like, hey man, I'm dying of cancer. Really? Yes. Yes. You are seated with God in the heavenlies right now. You have a new desire, a new heart, a new hope, It is anchored in heaven. This is your primary citizenship. You're not just emptily renouncing the world, right? You do love the world, but eternal life is that God has blessed you, right? He has done this. You have a new position before him, which is what? You have no penalty of sin. You have the power to love God and to walk in his obedience to his law and to love him. Um, And there will come a day when there is no more presence of sin, both internally and externally, and that is your hope. Uh, So this is what eternal life is. It starts now. It's not just the hope of heaven, although it's nothing less than that. It gives you the full possession of this now. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, the whole package. When you have that kind of confidence, it changes how you pray. Right? Uh, verse 14, and this is the confidence, he's going to explain it, that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Man, that's a loaded term. Again, like any relationship, the confidence you have is always expressed in the communication that you have with that person. Um, one thing that I've noticed in marriages, uh, we've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. A lot of it is pre-marriage counseling, and we have a, a great couple that helps do that here and kind of runs that. But a lot of times we tell this to couples, and it, it, it happens in uh, varying degrees, but hey, at your first year of marriage, after you get married, you're going to fight more. And everybody's like, well, why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but here's one real simple reason. When you find yourself in a legal relationship, people say, oh, marriage is a piece of paper. No, it's not. It's a law, okay? And so you're bound to someone. It removes all options. Right? So you're there together. When you're in this covenant relationship, as we see that, 
there's a certain safety that abandonment and rejection ain't going to happen. So now I'm going to say things to you that I probably wouldn't have said before. It's not that I'm holding back, but we all live a little bit different until we get married. And then we get married a little bit, the gloves kind of come off. And so we we kind of say things uh, that we wouldn't say. And here's why there's safety. There's safety. There's no, um, if we understand marriage correctly, um, there's just no fear of rejection and abandonment. That's the type of covenant that God has with us. So when we understand that, the communication that you have with him will change. Hey, explain this to me. This is out of your Bible. Psalm 10. This is a prayer. Why, O Lord, are you so far away? Why do you hide yourself? Have you ever prayed that before? Maybe it's because you don't believe that God's going to stick with you. Man, that's covenant prayer. That's somebody that knows they possess God. Not because they're awesome, but because of God's awesome name. And they know wrapped up in his name is a commitment that is so sure that you can say to God, you said you'd be here. Where are you at? My kingdom's crumbling. And you're praying God's promises and you're holding them to them. That's what a covenant does. It's not arrogance. It's not insolence, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I worship you. But it makes prayer happen like that. Confident prayer is an act of assurance. First and foremost, because God belongs to you. If you do not believe that through faith, not only do you belong to God, but he belongs to you, that's how a covenant works, you won't pray like that. Secondly, God hears. All right. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Well, this isn't the good stuff, actually. Because if you don't understand the first part, it's just not going to mean anything to you. You'll get frustrated and disillusioned with prayer. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, which we could strike that out sometimes, he hears us. Hey, can you say that about anybody else in your life? Have you, have you ever sat down and talked to me? Like, hey, are you, are you there? Are you hearing me? People are like strolling through their feeds. They're like making notes. They're doing stuff. Noise is happening. God listens. Man, I, you, you need to know this. God knows you better than you're ever going to know yourself. Build that conviction. He understands what you mean when you don't know what you mean. All right, so here's what we need to do to understand this. Uh, We need to understand, if we're going to understand that God hears us, we need to start checking some assumptions and expectations that we have about prayer and about this verse. Um, There's, when you talk about expectations, let me just throw three three things out there that I know you're going to resonate with. A lot of times our expectations are unconscious. I didn't even know I had that expectation until you made me mad, right? I I have an expectation that you'll listen to me, or I'll have an expectation that you'll, um, you know, meet me when you said you were going to meet me. Um, So some of our our, our expectations are unconscious, and we'll know that we have them when the emotion comes. Secondly, a lot of our expectations and assumptions are unrealistic. They don't have a lot to do with what's real. They have a lot to do with what, how I see uh, things should go. So there's that. And lastly, they're unspoken. A lot of times, and this causes conflict in, in all kinds of relationships. My expectations are unspoken, and so there's no way to really know what's happening here. Um, this happens in marriage a lot, happens at work a lot, and then when it's unspoken, we just fill in the gap. We fill in the gap with what we think should happen, and then there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? So we need to check our expectations about 
prayer. So what assumptions do you hold about prayer? This is so important. Um, and I'm going to say a lot of extremes here. Uh, if this isn't you, it isn't you. Uh, but, but check yourself here. So it, he says, according to God's will, if we ask anything according to God's will. Here's what that doesn't mean. Um, there can be an assumption that prayer is about finding God's secret will for your life. That's not in the Bible. Right? It's more, that actually kind of lines up more with paganism. Uh, where prayer is, a, is about God has a secret plan for your life and your role in prayer is to pray well enough and good enough and be good enough that God gives you some like, you know, like you can read the tea leaves, you can kind of connect the dots and say, oh, I get it. That's, now, that's not to say that God doesn't make his specific will for you in circumstances known through emotions and through people and through things. Right? It's not saying that, but I'm sa- telling you that the point of prayer is not for you to understand God's secret will for your life. In fact, Deuteronomy is like, don't even toy with that. The secret things belong to the Lord. Um, so we should be a little bit more, a lot more overwhelmed with God's revealed will. So does God have desires for your life circumstantially? Absolutely yes. But listen to what Jesus says. Uh, John fifteen seven. Much of what John says comes right out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus tells uh, his followers, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. The condition there, the expectation is in a love-trust relationship where I'm God and you're following me, my words are real to you. They abide in you. They move you. They push you. They encourage you. They draw you up. Yeah, ask what you want. Um, Let me tell you how this plays out in our life a little bit, just to make sure we're, we're putting a gate here. One of our pastors, I'm not going to tell you who it is, um, but his nickname is Steve Reed. Um, he, could you imagine him? First of all, do you like Fast and Furious? Do you like that movie series? I unabashedly like it. I don't care. There's like 10 of them. They're all the same thing, but I love it. Um, he was, we were talking about this verse because it's a complex verse. And he's saying, you know what? Um, and we were actually, no, we weren't. We were talking about movies. How'd I get there? We were talking about the Fast and Furious, how like we like it, but um, our wives won't watch past like, Tokyo Drift, I think. And then, then they're like, nope, done it, no more. He said, you know, I tried to do that once. I tried to race a buddy of mine, and it ended up horribly. Um, we were at the stoplight. He's like, let's do this, right? Flags out, and, he po- and Steve pops the clutch, and his car spins at a 45-degree angle and clips the front of the other car, scraping down the side of his vehicle and up under the sidewalk or something like that. And his friend was laughing so hard, he, couldn't, he, just, couldn't, he just lost it. So what does, what does Steve do? He's a teenager. He's like, okay, I went into my bedroom at home and I prayed. We do this, friends. He said, God, if you want me to be honest with my father, please give me a sign. <laughs> this is one of your pastors. Okay. God, in his goodness, condescends to him. And he, does, he plays Bible roulette. And he opens it up. He's like, mm. Proverbs 10, the Lord hates dishonest measures. <laughs> so he's like, I hear you, Lord. And so what did he do? He went up and lied to his father. It didn't even matter, right? And he's telling me this. He's like, and he said I could say his name, so don't tell on me. We do this. When God's will 
is not in line with my will, I'm not interested in your will anymore, God. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. But Dad's going to kill me. He's going to take my car away. I know that's how a teenager might think or a young kid, but we don't grow out of that, right? So is, does God's revealed will mean anything to us? Or is it just, is prayer just a way to like get things done in our life? Um, well, here, here's another way. Here's another assumption. If you have enough faith, you'll get it. Because it does say that. I'm going to show you two ditches here. One is, um, I'm going to name it and claim it. It has both good and bad connotations. I'm going to tell you both. If you believe that if your faith is solid enough, God is just going to give it to you. I honestly used to believe that. And I'm not talking with qualification. I'm just like, doom, he's going to do it. If you have enough faith, he's going to do it, especially if it's a good thing. How do you make sense of Paul's life then? Three times, 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. But he said, you know what Jesus, you know what Jesus said? You don't have enough faith, Paul. That's not what he said. He said, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you because my power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul believed it. So when we believe that, we run ourselves into a circle of guilt because our faith wasn't good enough or God's not good enough. He, just, he doesn't know me. He isn't hearing me. He doesn't get my life. Um, that's one ditch. Here's the other ditch for that. Well, God's sovereign, so what does it matter anyway? I believe in the doctrine of God and his goodness, and my prayer doesn't really matter anyway, so I'm not going to pray. I'm going to let God work it out the way he works it out. My prayer doesn't matter anyway. Do you know what, you know what that really is? You don't believe God is good, and you're, you're tired of trying to manipulate him into get, to getting to do things that you want. You just gave up. You don't believe in God's goodness. That's what that prayer is. You don't believe God is here. You also don't believe that God is for you. So when you say God is sovereign, so prayer doesn't really matter, and if you don't say it, you're thinking it. You're saying, here's, you believe that God isn't able or isn't good, and so prayer becomes just another way to manipulate God, and if it doesn't work out, I'm moving on to something else. Yet again, here's what Jesus says. Mark 11, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you've received it, and it will be yours. I am not going to nuance that for you. I'm not going to remove the pressure of that for you. I'm not going to explain that away for you. John says the same thing. Really believe that Jesus means it. So here's what you need to know. When you're praying in confidence like this, you have an absolute settled confidence, a settled knowledge that God's wisdom and his timing and his commitment is good. And you're good with that. Yeah, but if he would, but if he would just take this cancer from me, or if, if I wasn't broke all the time, or if my marriage would heal, or if I could get out of this dead end job, why was God, why would God want, I don't know why God would want anything. He's God. He operates on the premise of his love for you. 
So you have to hold tight because God is hearing you. And he wants confident prayer from you. And he wants it from, an, from the position of assurance that you know, that you know that you belong to him and he belongs to you. Okay? Um, so check your assumptions about prayer. Some of you don't pray with faith. I'm just going to tell you that. And Jesus walked right through towns in the Bible that, didn't, that would not join prayer with faith. He's like, eh. So you, if you're not praying with faith, so this is where the name it and claimants get it right. If you're not praying with faith, you should expect to receive nothing. And, and yet God still gives it to us because our faith is always imperfect. All right, God responds. Again, verse 15, and we know, that's settled confidence. We know. We know that he hears us and in whatever we ask. It doesn't say in the spiritual things that we ask, in the big, in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that he, we have asked of him. Um, okay. You're understanding that we're called to pray according to God's will. That means his revealed will matters. That means you're in relationship with God. That doesn't, he's not a genie. You have a love-trust relationship. And his words are abiding in you. Right? And that starts a, a feedback loop of prayer. It's communication. So before we go too further, let me just ask you this. Do, would you really want to live in a world? You're probably asking us. Would you want to live in a world where God would give you every prayer you lifted to him. Just like that. Would you? Oh, some are saying yes, some are saying no. Which is it? Would you like to live in a world where God would give you every request that you lifted up? Yeah, you know it. It's a sucker punch, isn't it? You know what the Bible calls that? Wrath. Romans 1. You want God to filter your prayer through his purposes and his love for you and those around you. He is wise. He is good. Okay? Um, here's what prayer is going to do, first and foremost. God's going to respond to you, but pr- prayer is going to change you. Um, let me define prayer. It would be weird to, to do this sermon and not define it. Prayer is this. You planting your real, authentic, sincere desires into the hands of God, Right? This is good. So if you think it's not that, we're misunderstanding it. You're planting your real, sincere desires into the hands of God. And at the same time, you are handing over to him your will. They both happen in prayer. You're not just tipping your hat and saying, God, I really need to, I hope this interview goes well, I got to get it. You can pray that way. That's good. That's not wrong. But are you willing to live in a world where his will reigns? Are you, are you willing to actually yield to his will? To hand with your desires, you're also at the same time handing him your will. That, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. First of all, our father, we possess him. He belongs to us who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's God. He's so far above, but yet he, he, he's with us. Your will be done, right? Kingdom. I'm not building a kingdom for me. I'm living in yours. So what about this verse? Well, whatever we ask. I'm not, I can't rewrite the Bible. That's exactly what it says. 
but you don't always get whatever you ask. That's out of God's love. Trust him, friend. So what do you do when you don't get what you want? Man, I love the way that God talks to you. Ask it all. Ask whatever. It's an invitation to an intimate relationship, friend. It's an, inter- it's an invitation to a conversation. I have seen miracles before. I've seen healings. I've seen demons cast out. Um, I've seen miracles in my own life, my own family's life. You know, you know what I know when I grew the most? When God was silent. I assume that his silence means absence. God, you got to show up. We're dying here. When it felt like he had gone on vacation and I was forced to trust him in a way that was way beyond my ability or my comfort zone, when I had to bring other people into the circle and say, you got to help me figure this out. When I had to read his Bible for more than just a devotion, but for bread the way it's supposed to be, I'm going to die if I don't get this. Then I got to see something of some, some of the person of God I've never seen before. And I can't go back now. So prayer is going to change you when you ask whatever you want to the Lord that has committed himself to you, that expects that your will will be shaped by his will. Uh, Think about a little kid. Do you think that you ask things differently now that you're an adult, say, than you were four years old? Uh, One of the beautiful things about kids, they'll ask whatever they want. Hey, I want an ice cream sandwich. Like it's seven in the morning, kid. I know. Turn on the TV and give me one. I'm like, wait a minute. That's actually brilliant. And you're like, no, you can't have an ice cream sandwich. Well, don't kill your mom. Right? That's what really happens. Okay, when you're older, you don't ask for an ice cream sandwich, even if you want one at seven in the morning. Because you've learned, right? You've learned. So you ask for things. As you continue to pray, as you grow up in the Lord, the way you pray is different. You will pray for his kingdom. You will bleed for his kingdom. And you will trust his will in a way that you never have. Let me, let me show you a prayer that went unanswered in the Bible. And it's got to mean everything to you. You know where I'm going with this? Luke chapter 22. Changed everything. But it's an unanswered prayer. I want you to feel this. Jesus is, not, Jesus, is, Jesus is terrified. This is Luke chapter 22. The closer he gets to his crucifixion, the worse it gets for him. And it's not because he's going to die. It's because he's going to feel something you're never going to feel if you're in Christ, which is absolute separation from God the Father. And he says, he's praying, Father, if you're willing, take it. I don't want it. Take this cup from me. I, I'm done. You've got to find a different way. My commentary. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you know how God answered that? You've got to keep moving. I'm not going to take it from you. You're going to drink it. And he, he went forward. Right? That unanswered prayer changed everything.
everything. And don't miss this. And there immediately to him, an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. He was in agony. God answered us. God did respond. He strengthened him. He gave him everything he needed to finish the race. That's not what he wanted. It's not what he wanted. He was, he was honest. That prayer is probably the most important prayer in the Bible. And God responded to it and gave him what God the Father wanted for God the Son for us. And Jesus walked in it. So what were his expectations? Think about that. He knew that he belonged to God and that God the Father belonged to him. He knew that God heard him and he knew that God was going to respond. Right? He was confident of that. He prayed out of that confidence and he walked it. That, friends, changes everything for your prayer. Everything. So, do you have real confidence in your relationship with God? I'm going to challenge you today to pray a prayer, maybe this morning, that if it doesn't get answered, bad things are going to happen. Have you pray a prayer that matters and expect God to answer. Right? Expect God to change you. This is not a mind game. He really wants everything that's good for you, but he's not going to put up with death. He's going to walk you through the landmines the way he wants to do it because he's God. All right, trust him in that. So pray that. Pray with confidence. Pray with expectation. Well, I'm not good at it. I don't care. Pray. Start the conversation. The more you pray, the better you get at it. Okay, this is God's call to us. But know that he belongs to you. Know that as you pray today, even right now, he's hearing you. And he understands what you're saying, even if you don't. He's going to respond. He's going to do that. Worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Not that you would just tell us to pray with confidence, with an empty hope. You would show us what that means. And you would do everything, absolutely everything necessary to give us access to you, to make our prayers your desire, and even help us, Lord, to be shaped by your will. I pray that you would make prayer our language in this church. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to continue in worship with our offering. So I'd ask the ushers that are going to pass up those.